This is Coach Lou Holtz, and you're listening to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast with Dr. Amber Selke, from the locker room to the boardroom. Dr. Amber is the best in the business at helping you and your team build the mindset that drive results. So lock in. If you can take just one thing away from today and implement it into your life, I know you'll be a better person and a better leader, coach, athlete, parent, or spouse because of it. Championship Mindsets, the podcast. This is your host, Dr. Amber Selkin, where we are in season three entitled Lead to Win. We have been on an incredible journey together over the course of the last several months, really exploring and diving into this concept of leadership. How do we tap into the power of leadership to unlock the potential in our people from sports to business, to life, to our communities, to our family? And today, I am thrilled to introduce our guest, Mr. Andrew Berlin. Andrew really embodies everything that we talk about here at the Selking Performance Group, where our entire mission is really to help individuals, teams, and organizations understand and leverage the power of mindset and leadership to unleash performance excellence and drive results. And growing up in Illinois and being part of a family that had a hard work ethic and a drive to succeed and win right at everything they did, I am just thrilled to to explore mindset and leadership and business and family and sports because Andrew touches on all of them. And we're just going to be able to really recap our time together over the last several months by hearing his stories and his experiences and his wisdom and insights. So um, Andrew grew up getting exposed to the intricacies of business and leading people. And today, he not only serves as the chairman and CEO of Berlin Packaging, but also as a partner and shareholder of the Chicago Cubs Major League Baseball team and the chairman and owner of the South Bend Cubs Minor League Baseball team affiliated with the Chicago Cubs here in South Bend, Indiana. So we are here at Four Winds Field today, which is the South Bend Cubs Stadium, sitting with Mr. Berlin, and we are just going to dive in and get all of his insights and wisdom that we can glean today. If you are on social media, please feel to tweet live while you listen to this conversation or share any thoughts and and ideas that really stand out to you. And make sure you tag us uh, um, on Twitter. We're at Champ Mindsets. Um, If you post on Insta, we're at Selking Performance and Facebook, Selking Performance Group. So make sure you include us in, in sharing your thoughts about this interview and the wisdom that you gain from Andrew. So without further ado, here we go. So, Andrew, thank you again for being with us today. I am I am fascinated by your life story growing up, youngest of three boys, um, incredibly hard work ethic. Yeah. Talk to us about what you feel like has led to your success in the in the business space and now also in the baseball space. Yeah, no, thank you very much, first of all, for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, and when I think about work ethic, it's a it's a really I think it's a great question. It's the threshold question because even when recruiting talent to a company or, or working with colleagues or selecting partners, you really do want to know what makes people tick. Mm-hmm. And 
what makes pe- you know, people tick, whether it's the consequence of being chased by positive demons or negative demons or an, an adaptive personality that had to overcome things that happened in formative years or because of a mentor in early childhood, whether it be a parent or someone outside the family, there is something that causes us to tick a certain way or the speed in which we tick. And so mm-hmm. I think what drives me really, it, it does start in the home uh, or not in the home for some others, but for me, uh, my father is in the steel business, a very hard worker, uh, grew up during the depression. Uh, I think I think that, that kind of experience of growing up, uh, son, he was the son of a Russian immigrant uh, at the turn of the century. My father was born in 1929, right at the beginning of the depression. I think in his childhood, uh, you know, working hard really meant survival. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he worked hard and he was creative uh, and he was in, his ambition really uh, was fed by this amazing ethic he had and he did very well in the steel business. Uh, my mother uh, and father were married when they were 19. My mother dropped out of college at the time uh, to begin raising a family. I, as you said, I'm youngest of three boys. But later, uh, as the boys uh, and when I started to reach the age of around seven, eight years old, my mom went back to school, uh, got her bachelor's, got her master's, got her wow. PhD, wow. and a law degree. Wow. So she had a work ethic that was almost second to none. And I think between the two of them, I had a, a very positive, two positive role models. And I didn't see them as much as I would have liked. Uh, I was much younger than my two older brothers. And I think that the birth order had a little bit to do with it too, because I think when you're the third of, of three children and your brothers are 10 and seven years older than you are, and both your parents are working hard with amazing work ethics, which you have to admire, but you want to see them more often. I think for me, my adaptive personality at that time caused me to work hard to impress them, mm-hmm. to engage them, and to, I think as I got into business, um, it also gave me a, a common vocabulary and language for me to, uh, to interact with my father especially, uh, being the, the male role model that I had. And so uh, I think even you know at the age I'm at today, uh, I think I am still trying to impress my parents a little bit to let them know that I, you know, that I learned from them and that I'm, I'm worthy and you know these are some of the things that drive me now i'm aware of it and i'm okay with it and as a result uh, i think what i've done also i think is as many children do they try to somewhat modify or alter or change a little bit of the way their own parents were and then be better parents themselves uh, and of course then make new mistakes on their own <laughs> <laughs> well somebody they gotta learn something gotta, right <laughs> that's right but I, I think for me, you know, having that balance and spending time with my children and st- while still working and building uh, an enterprise uh, is something that I, maybe I do a little bit better job of. That's fascinating. I love it, you know, because you, you are our concluding guest in this season of Lead to Win, right? We're in season three of our podcast. And the first building block and leadership principle that we talked about is know yourself as a leader and how important that is so that, you know, you, you can be aware and enhance and get better and leverage even some of the stuff that might not be healthy at the time. You, you can catapult and catalyze into mm-hmm. having a positive impact in your role as a leader. Yeah, I'd, I, I absolutely agree, and, and it makes a lot of sense, Amber. And and I saw that in, in your in the podcast series, and I think that was a it's a fabulous segment because it's not enough to say, "Gosh, I do this this way. I need to stop doing that and do it another way." I, if it was that easy, everybody would be ter- you know everybody would be terrific and everybody would be successful. But to stop a behavior or begin a behavior or enhance a particular behavior, you have to really go to the root cause as to why mm-hmm. that behavior exists in the first place. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Why do I procrastinate? Am I afraid to fail? You know, why do I work hard? Am I trying to impress somebody? 
uh, am I doing this beyond the, the need for you know, food and clothing and shelter? Am I doing it for some other form of self-actualization, as, as Maslow famously put it? Uh, I think understanding the root cause and, and, and the drivers and the motivations of why we are the way we are, then I think it helps you improve over time because then you can enhance yourself um, by putting aside or maybe evaporating whatever demons are chasing you that causes maybe negative behavior mm -hmm. and you, be, you, know, you become a, a better professional, a better leader. So why is it so important that leaders ask why? I think some are some are afraid to, right? Sometimes we're afraid to ask, why is this happening in my business or organization? Why is this happening in our sports team? Why are leaders sometimes afraid to ask that, or what's the value of asking why? I think some leaders uh, make the mistake that if I pay someone enough, and I'm, you know, fierce enough, scary enough, people will do what I say when I say it ought to be done, and you know they'll do it the way I expect it, and if I'm forceful enough, my voice gets loud enough, and let's say I give you a big enough bonus if you do it just the way I want it done, then somehow I'm going to get everything done just the way I want it. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, people, I don't think, I think most people don't respond well to fear, uh, and I think most people, uh, though they appreciate the remuneration that comes with a job, I, I think they, I think folks really want to feel like they're part of something, and that uh, there's collaboration even amongst the leaders and themselves. Uh, I think leaders, the best position for a leader is uh, not behind somebody and not in front of them necessarily, but shoulder to shoulder. That's powerful, that's yeah. powerful. So share about you know your general leadership philosophy then and perhaps you know two examples of your leadership philosophy in action. Well, I think what I've learned over the years, and, and again, I've made a number of leadership uh, uh, mistakes early in my career. And I think uh, my leader mistake, leadership mistakes, I think, fall into a couple of categories and, and maybe why I've become a better leader over time. It used to be um, when I first got into business, I was 27 years old uh, when I was president of Berlin Packaging. Um, I thought it'd be enough just to tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. Go do this and, 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 and get back to me in two weeks and tell me you know, when it's done. And if I kept track of all the times I told someone to do something, then I'd have some semblance of organization in my own life, and then I could keep track of people and then bang on them a little bit more when they didn't get it done. And then along the way, I, I realized, you know, it's not enough to tell people what to do. you got to tell them why it's important to do it. And so I became a, a good communicator. I, I articulated pretty well about you know, this is why we have to do it, and this is the consequences of not doing it, and if we do this, this is going to happen, and the benefit will inure to you or to others and to the organization. And so I got a little bit more traction with my direction uh, yeah. for folks by telling them why. But I, you know, but there was another mistake, Amber, and that was I didn't really sit down and get into the weeds as to how to do it. Mm. And I think a lot of leaders kind of missed this last part uh, because a lot of leaders like to live um, in the stratosphere. They, they, they live at the 30,000 foot level and they, they see themselves as big vision people. But there's nothing more intoxicating or uh, effective when a leader, at least in my opinion, you're asking one man right now, and this is my opinion, but I run a multi-billion dollar company in many different countries around the world, so it's not a small enterprise. But I still roll up my sleeves mm -hmm. and I'll jump into a meeting and I'll say, listen folks, are we clear about why we need to do this? And I make sure and I'll clarify it if we're not. Folks, are we clear about what we're doing here? And, and, and point A to point B, there's a journey we're about to take, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're clear about this, okay? So we understand why and, and what. 
And by the way, we can't have any stragglers. And we're on a military march here, mm-hmm. right? If you don't, if you're sick and wounded on this military march, I'll, I'll carry you. Yeah. Okay, I'll carry you till you heal. But eventually, once you're you're all healed up, you got to march with me. Yeah. But stragglers, they'll be shot. Yep. Uh, that's metaphoric, of course. Metaphoric. <laughs> <laughs> because I, c- I can't have people leaning back in their chair with their arms crossed and say, well, I don't like what you're doing. I'm just going to watch you fail. I can't have that. But I think the final piece of it all, I think, is really is you know how to do something. Uh, and very often, I think leaders make the mistake and take for granted that people actually know how to do what you ask them to do, even though you explain to them why it's important. And so to hash through uh, with the training, the role-playing, um, uh, kind of the, the, the decision tree about you know, how to handle an obstacle. You know, what do you do when you overcome, you know, to overcome an obstacle or if a customer tells you you can't do something or a supplier tells you they can't accomplish something? You know, if you're told no, that's, that's the beginning of the conversation. That's not the end of the conversation. And this is how, let's, let's work around this together. Let's figure it out and we role play. That's a lot of work. But boy, the benefits are huge. Yeah. And what you're also doing is you're teaching the other leaders in the room to do the same. So I'm not saying that you can scale a company to a big size when the chairman and CEO rolls up his sleeves or her sleeves and digs in on the how to do something. But if you do it in the presence of other management in the room or directors or whatever the titles may be, then everybody is learning how to teach the how. That's powerful. And you know what I love about that is really just went through our entire season of our podcast, which is beautiful because it makes me look like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'll, and unquestionably, I'll, you do. <laughs> well, no, I think it, I think it's awesome. So let's do a little rapid fire here um, again and just get your expertise and insights from the applied level on each of the leadership principles that we well, we have covered over the last several weeks together. So I'll start and, and share the leadership principle and then you just give your thoughts and reactions in terms of why why it's so important for leaders to understand and apply these principles in their organization. Okay, so principle number one that we talked about was know thyself and the importance of self-identity as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see it in, in sports. I see it in, in, uh, in business. But then again, sports is in the entertainment industry anyway, so it's all a business. Uh, for me, the importance is really being honest with yourself and being honest with uh, your manager and your manager being our leader uh, being honest with them, it's it's a, it's a, it's really an open kimono moment, and I think the sharing of agendas, the sharing of the importance of behavior, is there. But I think you also have to be sensitive to the the personal needs. Um, I have five children, Amber, um, and uh, they all have my DNA, but they're all so different. Yeah. Every single one of them is different, and I. I think the lesson for me in business is that regardless of uh, how many employees and how well I, rec- you know, I have and how well I recruited to get people cut from the same fabric as, as myself and they believe what I believe, they all need something different. Mm-hmm. They're all motivated by different things. And I think a, a leader's job is not only to know themselves, but to understand or try to understand what drives other people. It's powerful. The, the closer you are to understanding the formative years of, of, of a particular direct report, um, what their fears are, what their concerns are, what their you know, what makes them happy. Um, I think you get you get the most out of your people that way. That's incredible, awesome. Okay, we'll go into then principle number two, which we talked about building culture and the importance of, of casting vision as a leader. Yeah, well, there's two things right there. I mean, culture and vision. Of course, mm-hmm. they're all very much related. Um, 
when I started in business, I, I didn't know, and I've, I've had the packaging business uh, for 30 years, uh, last January. Before that, I, I practiced law for 23 months, so it wasn't very long. Uh, <laughs> commerce was more for me, but be that as it may, uh, I didn't know culture. I didn't know it was important. And maybe I knew culture when I saw it, but I wasn't very good about finding it on a consistent basis. And I think after a while, I realized that uh, the importance of culture was, was so strong because I saw it when I hired people who had um, the same traits as myself. Mm-hmm. Um, again, energy, passion, ambition, imagination, whether or not they're clever or have a sense of humor, they derive joy in crushing competition. I, I mean, I... Oh, I'm getting I, adrenaline rush just listening to you. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I mean, but you can't, you can't teach any of those things. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I, I can maybe enhance it with a little bit of training, but, but I can only recruit those things. Now, if I recruit those traits... I can always teach them packaging. I can always teach them the difference between high high density polyethylene and polyvinyl chloride resins, and you know, and I mean, I can teach them that stuff. It's like they show up with a resume and a, and a nice looking suit, right? That's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I don't know really what kind of woman that is or what kind of man that is. What the, the stuff that's really important is is below the waterline. That iceberg where you're looking only 10% of the tip of it sticking out of the water. The 90% of that person is below the water. You can't see it, but you got to figure out how to recruit it. If you recruit it and you get those traits in the organization, now your culture almost becomes this self-generating, self-generating thing. It, it, it builds on itself and it's, it's, um, it's contagious. Yeah. And then you start attracting more and more people like that. And now one of the most wonderful things, things about business is not making a lot of money, but actually coming to work and working with people who, I mean, love each other. Yeah. Would, would go through mountains, go through rivers of mud for each other. And in the funny, you know, just a funny anecdote about Berlin Packaging, since we've gotten really good at recruiting and recruiting for traits and we're hiring a lot of people who are, you know, 20-somethings and so forth as the company grows, um, we have so many marriages that are happening in the company right now. Wow, cool. Because people came to the company and at, at a time where they're, they're dating, they're out of college or out of graduate school and they're... You know, they're, they're meeting people, and they're meeting so many people that work, but they're meeting people who have the same traits. Wow, that is crazy Yeah, so, so, awesome. in our, so in our corporate office, we've had like four or five weddings in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> we've never had so many waivers signed by human resources. <laughs> they're like, what's <laughs> happening, Andrew? <laughs> but they're literally falling in love with each other. Yeah. I mean, but to me, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I love that that's happening, because that's, that's affirmation that we're recruiting well. Yeah. Um, but beyond culture, I mean, what, what is the benefit of that? But the benefit of that is that we trust each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we may fight, uh, we may argue, but it, it's constructive conflict. And, and, um, and sometimes we even foster it a little bit uh, because we get the best solutions that way. And so the culture is really the fuel mm-hmm. that goes in whatever engine we're trying to build. And I have to say it's become, um, listen, there's so many books that, that will they'll be far more articulate than I'm being right now. I'm just telling you that from my perspective, I mean, we're in the bottle business. We're not in the tech industry. We sell yeah. empty bottles, glass and plastic bottles to food, chemical, pharmaceutical, wine, and beverage companies. It's not the sexiest of businesses, mm-hmm. but it is a lot of fun because we work in a company that we work with an amazing culture. and. My job as kind of chief cultural officer, in addition to CEO, is to to watch over it and to protect it, and to weed out the jerks, and mm-hmm. to weed out the people who are just you know are posing, 
Yeah. Well, and I think, and, and just the intentionality with which you're not only building the culture, but stewarding the culture, right? And, it, yeah. and it's not like, okay, great. Well, we've got a culture. Now let's move on to the next bullet point on the to-do list, oh, no. right? This is an ongoing thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a diminishing thing if you're not careful. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. because ultimately these people are such stars that other people will come knocking. Yeah. And so it's not just about recruiting, you know, building a core competency, recruiting or building a core competency and skill development and training, which are essential, but you need to also have a core competency and retention. And a lot of companies forget that. You have to keep your stars on board. If you lose your stars, you're taking three steps backwards and it leaves a giant hole. So, you know, we, we measure our retention rate and we talked a little bit about the loyalty effect, the mm-hmm. uncontrovertible evidence and correlation between high loyalty and high retention rates and high EBITDA organizations in our company we have a 94 percent retention rate wow and when i first bought the company it was it was about a 25 percent retention rate it was a revolving door yeah and so wisdom and experience was walking out the door every day today Mm -hmm. you keep those intellectual assets in the company combined with a great culture with a great communication of the what and the why and the detail around the how i don't care what you decide to do you're going to blow it away I love that. And that's, you know, that's been the most fascinating thing for me is, is having the opportunity to speak to all these different types of leaders, right? You know, one was in a tech industry, one, one's in manufacturing as well, one was in the military, like not always sexy industries, but when you lead well, people want, people want to show up and win, right? Whatever it is you're doing. And when we, when great leadership is happening, I mean, greatness can happen. Well, you know what a sexy industry is? It's an industry making money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's really sexy. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, yeah, that's the truth, by the way. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right, awesome. So let's okay. go into our next principle, standards of excellence and the importance of creating just high standards of behavior in and throughout an organization. Yeah, we have a, a litmus test Okay. Uh, for that. So you're sitting in your office, Amber, and one of your employees uh, comes in and says, Amber, I'm resigning. I'm moving on to uh, a company. They don't compete with you. I'll give you however many weeks notice you need. If your first inclination is, whew, thank God they, they, they quit. Man, that, that's a relief. I'm really going to be able to top grade here now. Or is your reaction, oh, no, 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 you can't leave. Let, let's figure out how we can get you to stay. If you're not begging them to stay, that means you're living with mediocrity. If you're living with mediocrity, plan for the transition now. Start looking. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's the litmus test. If, yeah. if, if you find yourself walking through the office and you're avoiding that, per- that person's office by taking another hallway so you don't have to walk past them or you don't have to say good morning to them. And, and by the way, this happens all the time all in the corporate time. America where people are trying to avoid running into somebody because they don't want to say. If you're the owner or you're the leader and you've got that feeling, you're trying not to run into somebody, you're living with mediocrity and you're hurting the organization. So the standards have to remain very high mm-hmm. and um, and to me it's it's not about asking people to leave the moment you don't like them that's not what that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is is that as you take inventory on your on your folks and they, they fall into uh, as, a, as a four box uh, four box analysis that we use uh, the axis of the box or the axes of the box the vertical axis is the value uh, the, the values you have in your company do they believe in your high values or low values, as the case may be? And then the horizontal axis is um, profitability and productivity. So in, in, in the bottom box, you have um, low values and low productivity. 
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> You're one for one. Perfect. Okay. If you have high values but low productivity, what do you do with them? Coach them. Exactly. Them. Perfect. I mean, right on. Train them, right? You, you, you take the time because they have those traits. They may not be turning it in in terms of profitability and productivity, but you work with them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're worth investing in. Um, high values. Now, here's let's take the, the big box. High values and high profitability. What do you do with that box? Keep coaching them because they need love and you oh, want them to stay. It's you, absolutely. You find out what affirmation <laughs> what? means to them and yep. you retain that talent. That's yep. a star. Yep. But there's that one box that a lot of companies struggle with. They bring high profitability, but they have terrible values. What do you do with that one? And that's a question mark for a lot of companies. Yep. You know, do I do I live with that jerk, and or that dishonest person, or that person that every time they are in a meeting they create such a monster wake? You're playing cleanup after every meeting they're in, mm-hmm. but you keep them on because they're making a lot of money. I would argue you get rid of them, yeah. because at the end of the day, um, they're so demoralizing to be around. The fact that you keep them makes one, makes the leader, leader look like a hypocrite. That values aren't as important as you say they are. And others are looking at you and observing you and say, I can't believe my leader is putting up with that behavior just because they make a lot of money. He, he's not a leader. Mm-hmm. He's something else. And, that, so, and to me, that's that's the hard box I think a lot of companies struggle with. All the time. And I see it in athletics a ton, yeah. right? And oh, on, so, team, on teams especially. Yeah. yeah sports teams, absolutely. So what's, what's your strategy with that box, Andrew? Like, how do you approach that as the leader? I mean, e- even if it is to get rid of that person, what, what's sort of your process that, that you navigate that, that area with? Because I, I think this would be huge for our listeners to know. Like, if you're the leader, this yeah. is your job. Lead, right? So it's a, it, I have an answer for you. It's a two-part uh, answer. One is easy, one's a little bit harder. So I'll give you the easy answer first. Uh, you have to be honest. You have to be courageous and just simply tell that person what you're thinking and what you have a problem with. And, and, and it sounds simple and it's hard to execute. A lot of folks do dance around it because they see it as conflict. And a lot, of, a lot of leaders avoid conflict. I've had many sleepless nights as a young man thinking about these conversations I had to have in the next day. Um, as a more experienced leader, I actually relish these conversations and I look forward to them because it's my opportunity to either ferret out you know, a solution that they're going to leave the company or if they're going to stay they're going to know exactly what it's going to take to stay. But I need to have an honest, courageous conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And that, that courage, I think, you know, depending on how great a leader one wants to be, uh, courage is one of those attributes you, you need to have a, a strong supply of. Absolutely. The second one is a tool that I use. And again, uh, your, your listeners are going to have to imagine uh, this tool. Um, we have it uh, on our website at berlinpackaging.com, but it's what we call our T-chart. Our T-chart is, um, I, another way of calling it, is a psychological contract between our company and our employees. It's a, a mutual obligation to one another. On the left side of the T-chart is everything I owe my employees. On the right side, everything my employees owe our company. And it, because it's a psychological contract, um, it's very crystal about what we expect of one another. So on the left side of the T-chart, what I have what I offer my employees and I promise to my employees is a superior compensation for superior results. However, that manifests itself through a great bonus program or profit sharing, what have you. I promise a chance to grow. We do career pathing in our companies and all the companies I've owned and and own, and we we set up, establish a career path, whether it's a 
corporate ladder, a spiral staircase where you're cr- you know, cross-training into various functions, or, or simply staying in your own position, but you get enough training to be the best that ever was in that position. Right. A lot of people define chance to grow a lot of different ways, but you have to understand what they think about, what's important to them, because it's also the number one reason why people leave. Mm-hmm. Number two, another reason why people leave is you have to have great leadership. And if your leaders aren't getting leadership training, then people actually are leaving the leader. They're not necessarily leaving the company. And so you have to promise people that if you're going to get, if we're asking to get on the bus, you have faith, faith in the bus driver. Mm, yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that, that. That's kind of getting right down to nitty gritty there. Yep. Um, the third part, we offer them a sense of collegiality, the sense of family, the sense of belonging, the sense that the company is going to be there for you if anything bad happens. Now I'm talking about personal and commercial. That's powerful. And, you know, you have to step outside what the lawyers tell you and the lawyers will say, you know, you, you know boy, if someone's apartment burns down and they lose their entire wardrobe and you want to lend them $5,000 to replace their wardrobe, don't do what the lawyers will tell you because you don't want to set a precedent. I say, you know what, uh, thanks for the advice, but the guy's got no clothes. Yeah. And if he's got no clothes and $5,000 is a lot of money to him, but not so much to me, I'm, I'm going to give him $5,000. Go get, go get yourself another wardrobe. You do that for someone. By the, by the way, they're going to be like a billboard throughout the entire you know, organization. Right telling people what a wonderful company this is uh, and then you have this you know the sense of, of loyalty because no one works well with fear so if I'm if I'm offering all of these things to my employees and I do it and I and I commit myself to it then I absolutely expect the right side of the t-chart I have an obligation to demand it mm-hmm. for my employees because this is a mutual obligation so the employees know they owe me profitability they have to somehow increase my revenues or reduce my operating expenses or improve my productivity. It's the only three ways to make more money for a company. Mm-hmm. So they got to do that well. They got to be productive. They have to be team players. They have to show loyalty as well. And they have to offer me new ideas to innovate, to improve this company. And if I can do that, um, I, have a, I have a relationship with my employees that is predictable and is mutual. And combined with the leadership and the culture we're talking about, uh, again, you have something fierce, something powerful that you, know, you create a juggernaut in just about any industry because um, you know the, pot, the competitive advantage, uh, as you know, uh, comes through people. That's incredible. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's a great reference. Sure. Again, uh, give us your website just so our listeners, if they want to check that T-chart out. Yeah, I'm not trying to sell bottles through this podcast. but it, Well, if you do, though, I'll be happy about I, it. I, I, I'm about everybody winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's at berlinpackaging.com. Okay. And I have to say, uh, unabashedly, um, this concept and something that we developed was also written about in a book called The Human Equation, Perfect. which was published by the Harvard Business Press, uh, but was authored by a professor from the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University, uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer. Uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer wrote about what Berlin does in a chapter. Uh, gosh, if you buy The Human Equation in hard hardcover, it is page 181. Perfect. <laughs> not that he knows or anything. Well, it happens. It's not no, often that's incredible. That's awesome. We'll, we'll um, check out the episode notes. We'll put yeah. um, Berlin Packaging website on there, but also the, a link to the to the book as well to check that out. That's yeah, perfect. I, I, I get no royalties for selling that book, but it just happens to be there. No, that's awesome. And, yeah. and whatever resources, I mean, this is the point of this, right, is to, to try to put great resources in people's hands that they can get better and go make a difference because our world is desperately lacking great leadership and and we're trying to to help move the needle on that so awesome thanks for sharing that resource okay next leadership principle we talked about were team dynamics and the importance of empowering your people to do their job what's that mean to you 
Well, it goes back to a little bit what we were talking about before. I mean, it's 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 understanding what motivates them. Um, you know, the team dynamics is uh, something that doesn't that doesn't come naturally to everybody. Uh, whether teams uh, feel that uh, they can be innovative and can argue or can even challenge the status quo without penalty, uh, I think that's an important part of the culture. And I think that goes to that 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 level of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I. I I'm, I'm sure you've seen this book before, The Five Dysfunctions of the Team. Uh, love that book. Yeah, um, classic. It's, it's awesome. I mean, uh, team dynamics that uh, are built on a foundation of trust first. And very often companies skip that part. They assume trust. Or they tell people, hey, we're in this room together. we got to figure this out. Okay, everybody trust each other? Okay, ready, go. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And all uh, your introverts are like, "Wait, what? We didn't even define trust yet." I don't. And you're an extrovert, and that's scary. And oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. So we we go through a lot of different exercises uh, to engender trust. Uh, you know, we do not engage in trust falls. Uh, we don't. We don't fall backwards and catch people. Um, not. I'm, and again, I'm not. I'm not poo pooing that that tactic, but. Whatever makes sense for the team and for the group of people who are together, there has to be conversation about being able to say things and 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 offer up ideas that they're they're not going to be criticized for for offering an idea that may not make sense. Um, if you're brainstorming in a group, you know everybody knows in a brainstorm you're going for quantity, not quality. Mm-hmm. The idea is is to pick the gems out of the of the groups of ideas, knowing that a number of them are going to be dogs. But again, it's the process of even offering up the dogs or even the ideas that don't make sense where you find the the real jewels. And so uh, when it comes to team dynamics, I think it's important for a leader. um, I've I've heard it described as a a benevolent dictator. Mm. Uh, And that's why many business leaders do so poorly in politics is because politics is all about ultimately compromise and not dictatorship. but we will avoid that topic altogether. <laughs> As for your last last podcast, yeah. uh, but I think you know, in business, um, a leader has to have big ears and has to be open to contrary ideas, and and may sometimes be willing to try something that they believe will fail if it won't cost the organization, because mm-hmm. you want to at least show faith that you're willing to implement ideas and even ideas that you don't agree with. Um, and so for me. Uh, I try to, I try to keep an open mind and open ears, but ultimately the, the dictator part does come in, and someone does have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the analysis paralysis, uh, you know, remark has been made many, many times before, and and sometimes teams can take it right to the end, and you come to a fork in the road, and someone has to make a decision, and that's where the leader comes in. Uh, sometimes you really just have to make a decision. And that's that courage piece that you talked about a lot, too. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're paid well to fail and to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, the next next leadership principle we talked about were systems, right, and the importance of continuous improvement and having great processes in place that, that work now, but you're also always sort of seeking to, to make better. In the context of human resources or through the whole organization? Through your, your whole organization and people obviously being a part of that. Well, Amber, it's essential if you're going to scale. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're running a small business, um, you, can, you can probably just keep making decisions for everybody. Um, but if you're going to scale to any extent, um, if you want to have more than just one store or if you want to build an organization beyond a certain size, Let's face it, there are only a certain number of hours in the day where a leader can make all the decisions. And frankly, if you're making all the decisions and you're not 
helping others become leaders in the future, you may eventually lose them anyway, because if, if, if your people are smart and uh, interesting and clever and all those attributes we talked about and those wonderful traits that we look for, um, eventually they're going to move on so they can be leaders themselves. So I think a, a leader has to somehow institutionalize a process of building leadership. I love that. Uh, and um, gosh, there's I, I don't want to pontificate on this topic because, again, I feel like uh, the students sitting with the teacher because uh, your podcasts are, are uh, really are amazing and the people you've spoken to. And for me, it was just it came down to some data that I received from Professor Pfeffer at Stanford. I, I had him as a teacher. That's how I got to know him. And, uh, and he actually now sits on our board of directors. I liked him so much. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, but he had done a study uh, from 1970 to 1990 um, about five companies in New York Stock Exchange that had grown over 15,000% in value during some tough economic times. And in analyzing these five companies, he found that they, the one thing they had absolutely in common was their ability to institutionalize um, recruiting, skill development, training, and leadership. Wow. And the five companies uh, were uh, Walmart, Tyson Foods, uh, Plenum Publishing, Southwest Airlines, and Circuit City. Now, Circuit City has a little asterisk next to it because they went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but they changed their direction. Right, okay. So we know the moment that their, that their, um, their fall began uh, when the CEO came into the company. And I know someone who sat on their board of directors, so I know this for a fact. The CEO came in and said, you know, the sales force is doing such an amazing job and their commissions are so big we could actually increase our earnings if we just cut those salespeople and replace them with minimum wage salespeople and because when people come to Circuit City they know the CD player they want to buy they know the TV they want to buy so all this person is doing is, is arranging the sale and taking orders they don't really sell well anybody who's ever been to a Circuit City apparently not the CEO didn't exactly. didn't understand the process, and so they cut all their salespeople. Wow! And that, I didn't know that. And, and that was the, the structure or the company really started to take a dive. But my point of saying this is that when Professor Pfeffer examined these five companies and their human resource strategy, he found that they had all institutionalized um, six basic principles in their companies. Okay. And it, and 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 one of them was institutionalizing and investing in leadership training in their companies. Now, in addition to having superior compensation for superior results, um, having you know career pathing, core competency in recruiting, a culture that has an emphasis on fun, an emphasis on growth, but there's a huge investment in leadership training because at the end of the day, however impressed any of my thousand employees might be with me, if they're an employee in, our, in our, our Dallas facility or our Napa Valley facility or New York facility or Charlotte, North Carolina facility, they may work for Berlin Packaging and I may be their CEO, but they don't work for me. <laughs> they work for the guy in Charlotte. Yeah. They, they work for the woman in Napa Valley. They work for you know, the woman in Dallas. That's their boss. And that boss needs to be as articulate and as thoughtful and as you know, energetic and as creative and all those things we were talking about. That's the leader that has to be great. And so to scale, my point, going yeah. back to my earlier point, and it was a long, circuitous route to this final it's moment. It's been a beautiful journey, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The landscape's been beautiful. But, but the point is, the scale, you have to institutionalize this. It can't yeah. just be one and done. It just can't be one leader. 
you to scale a business, you have to create other leaders as well. What's been your process either at Berlin Packaging or with the South Bend Cubs that you've tried to inst- institutionalize this in your companies? Yeah, so um, it, it's a willingness to invest in people, yeah. uh, to, to invest money and time to enable people to actually step away from their day jobs to build their skill sets in this area. Uh, again, a lot of leaders and CEOs I've known give it lip service. You know, they're marvelous in front of a PowerPoint and standing up on a stage and saying these things, but you gotta, you know, gotta walk the talk. And so uh, at Berlin Packaging, we've given, we, we identified high potential leaders, mm-hmm. uh, people who we thought had the raw material, uh, who had the, 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 the traits, if you will, uh, and then we took them away from what they do um, and for two, three weeks at a time over a period of six months, uh, we put them through leadership training and uh, we brought people in to help us, but we really kind of grew the coursework uh, within. Awesome. Um, we've done this a couple of times already. Uh, I wouldn't say we do it perfectly. And, we, and, and with every iteration, we get better and better. Right. But it, again, it's, it's doing something. Yeah, and it goes back to that point of continuous improvement, right? I mean, you've got to start somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> starting from one today is better than starting from five 20 years from now. <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. But something's good good is going to come of it. That's awesome. Regardless of, of whether or not you think you did an A job or a B job. So that's, listen, that's that's where, um, but I think that's where companies start to scale. Awesome. Good. So the last leadership principle that we talked about was be the example, right? And you just said it, but the importance of, of walking the talk. Yeah. So um, there was a, uh, a professor from the University of Southern California years ago. Um, his name was Bennis. Okay. Uh, On Becoming a Leader, I think was the name Ooh. of the book. Um, I think he was, I won't say he's the father of leadership training. It's, it's or the, or the father, he's the father, not the mother, but he wrote this book, gosh, I think maybe 50 years ago on becoming a leader, and he likened leadership uh, to a three-legged stool. And again, there are variations on the theme. There's no, there's nothing hard and fast here. Because Amber, I'm, I'm sure you have more updated material and ideas on this. But he thought of a stool as, is, you know, a leader has to have integrity, has work ethic, and the ability to communicate and communicate well. Mm-hmm. So you think about you know, notable examples of leaders that we've known um, in just even in presidential history, uh, where they may have two legs, but they don't have that third leg, and the stool topples. I think the way I think about my own life is um, there has to. I mean, integrity is just a non-negotiable. Yeah. You just you have to be trustworthy. Uh, you don't have to be like everybody else. You don't have to be a chameleon to the nth degree, where you just you know you're you're like a politician, depending on the crowd you're in front of, the message is altered just to, to, to kowtow to the people that you want to vote from. You don't have to be that. We just got to be honest. Yeah. Um, and and people know when they're being BSed. Yeah. Uh, I think most people got a pretty good meter when it comes to that. Um, work ethic, when well, we talked about what drives people, and you know, a great leader um, – has to have a work ethic. And these days, uh, what's interesting about work ethic is it used to be, when I first got into business, people knew your work ethic by what time you got in in the morning, what time you left at night, or how heavy your briefcase was. Uh, today, I can carry my entire briefcase in my suit pocket. In the, in the, <laughs> right. It's called an iPhone. Um, and by the way, I can I can work, you know, the moment I open my eyes in the morning, well, I'm still in bed with that iPhone in my hand, and, and before I close my eyes at night, you know, and, and, and so... And by the way, which I think is a bad idea, you should keep the iPhone away from the bed. Uh, I think the Wall Street Journal called that a menage iPhone. 
Yeah. I think that's a bad. I think it's a bad idea. It's not but good for brain health. We do know that. It's not, it's not good for brain health, even <laughs> if you adjust the light on it. Um, but my point is, is that you have to. People need to know that you're dedicated and you're working somehow. Uh, and so a leader has to be around. You got to. You have to be out there, front and center. They got to see you. Yeah. Um, and then it goes to the work ethic, and then the ability to communicate. Uh, Which actually I skipped that in the middle of this thing of communication, yeah. the importance of communicating with clarity and compassion. So let's just hit that now on, while we're yeah, on that three-legged I mean, stool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, communication is, is, is your opportunity to explain the, um, the, the, the why and the what. Uh, the how, you can communicate that too, but that usually falls under the five to seven role. You have to say it five to seven times before people really understand how to do it. Uh, <laughs> but And that's okay. Uh, but there has to be... Uh, this uh, connecting uh, emotionally with your constituency, and that's I think a lot where the communication comes comes in. I mean, as you probably know from the biologic and psychologic research, you know people make decisions based on emotion first, yeah. and, uh, and, the, and the rationalization and the, and the analysis of the information comes second. So you know being able to connect is 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 powerful, and, and some of the greatest examples are in presidential campaigns. Uh, when Obama was uh, running his first term. He didn't run on a on a platform that I've got you know I got a twelve step program to improve this country. Right. He just gave you two words. If you believe in hope and change, I may be your candidate. Right. Um, when Mitt Romney was running, he had the twelve step plan, and it it just didn't connect. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think when it comes to communicating, I'm not saying that you go for you know platitudes or you go for uh, broad themes, but I think when you're connecting, a, a leader should be should have a high enough EQ or sensitivity with EQ and understanding emotion and, and what a group of people may be thinking or worried about or concerned about and address those concerns and, and to help them imagine what the future could be like. How could that future benefit them? Mm-hmm. And to help people imagine and to vision, uh, envision that future, I think that's, uh, that's an exciting part of being a leader. That's awesome. That is powerful stuff. All right, so so you've got a manufacturing company, companies, right, and a sports franchise. Mm-hmm. What are the similarities and differences between working in the sport business and working in the manufacturing business? Oh gosh, across the board, there are similarities. It's just the product is different. Okay. Um, you know, we focus so much about, for example, in, in manufacturing and distribution. We think about the touch points that uh, that our customers or, or say a prospect might experience before they become a customer, and so we've identified from the moment we touch you, Amber, with a piece of marketing material or a sales call or something you might see about us, something about our brand, to the moment we get a, a purchase order from you, and then you pay your invoice and the product is is delivered. At Berlin Packaging, we've identified about 26 distinct touch points where we have a moment in time to surprise and delight you. So at that touch point, whether it's big or small, we have to surprise and delight you. In the sports business, it's the same thing. Now we can't, for example, the South Bend Cubs, we can't control whether or not the team wins or loses. So if we can't control the play on the field, um, then we better make sure our business is successful because your fan experience and your customer journey while you're here is amazing. So here we broke it down to 36 touch points here at Four Winds Field where the South Bend Cubs play, the singly affiliate of the Cubs. And from the moment you're pulling off the street into our parking lot to the moment you enter the, the turnstile to what you experience while you're here and when you're leaving, 
we actually have 36 touch points that we've um, delegated to task forces and committees to try to figure out and innovate how we can make it surprising and delightful. So, for example, uh, when you're entering our parking lot, we have very bubbly, happy people taking your money, not some curmudgeon guy who couldn't get a job anywhere else in Park our ballpark. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to hire cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, when you're walking from your car to our stadium, we cleaned up the sidewalks. We took the cigarette butts out of the sidewalks. We, put, we planted grass and flowers and trees. Uh, we put stanchions up with audio speakers, and we play music while you're walking to our stadium. And the music, even the selection of the music, uh, there are studies that show in baseball, there are 30 Major League Baseball parks, and the Baseball Writers of America vote on which stadium has the best music. Wow. Uh, number one last year, Oakland Athletics. Reason being, they play the best of the 60s and 70s. Interesting. Everyone loves the Beatles. Yep. The Rolling Stones, you know. Yep. So we play the best of the 60s and 70s when you're walking from your stadium, walking from your car to the stadium. When you're greeted at the turnstile, we teach people to look at your fan and say something nice about them. Your hair looks beautiful today. That's a lovely jacket you have. Oh, my gosh, how old are your kids? They look so happy. I mean, it's not just ticket and move on. Yeah. We're trying to personalize the, the touch point. Um, when you walk through the turnstile, enter our concourse, we have redirected the exhaust fans from our cooking stations. So you're smelling barbecue and burgers and fries, and you're smelling food as you're walking in. We want to get you hungry and happy when you're here. Yeah. You're walking through the concourse. We have trained our, our ushers and our ambassadors to profile who's walking through our concourse to try to anticipate a need before it's even expressed. So if you're coming to the stadium with your niece or your nephew and you're, you're balancing a diaper bag and a toddler, we know that by the time you get to the stairs to walk down to your seat, you're going to be juggling. <laughs> so we come up behind you, we show you an ID and say, can I carry that bag for you? Can I take your toddler's hand for you? Take you to your seat. And when you're getting situated, which is complicated with little ones and bags right. and such, can I run to the con concession stand for you? What would you like? Wow. I'll get it for you. Cool. Now, when you come down, come back with your food, and you end up leaving that night, you know what you're going to do? You're going to probably tell someone about your amazing experience, mm -hmm. and that brings other fans to the ballpark. And so, what we're trying to do is we're trying to surprise and delight. If we merely satisfy you, you'll never recommend us. Yeah. And so, we use actually a, a metric in our company called Net Promoter Score that actually measures um, this experience, and then we survey you at the end of the year. And the way we get your information, because we don't always know who's in the ballpark, in order to get your contact data, we give away a flat screen, a 40-inch flat screen, every single inning of every Friday night throughout the entire season. Man, I don't come to enough Friday night games then. That's right. <laughs> but in doing so, to sign up for the drawing, you have to give us all your contact information. Yeah. So you have a database of over 200,000 200, contacts. That's awesome. And then we survey you at the end of the year with only one question. How likely are you to recommend some family or friend to come to Four Winds Field for a night of baseball. Scale zero to 10. Zero to six, you hate us. Nine and 10, you love us. Seven or eight, you're on the fence. I don't know how you're thinking. We throw that score out. And then we net, net out the lovers and the haters. And right now, 83% of our fans give us nines and tens. Well, it's fascinating. You, I, I came And it's, by the way, that's, and we do that in the other business too. That's awesome. So we think about it the exact same way. And, and, you know, I came when this was the Silverhawks years ago when I was an undergrad, and I, I barely remember the experience, except it just seemed dark and really far away. Um, and, you know, we're not that far away from the campus of Notre Dame here. But my husband and I come to games all the time now, and I, everything you kept saying, I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. That That is yeah. exactly what happened in each of these moments. And, you know, we 
talk to everybody be like oh you got you should come to south bend like let's go to a cubs game it's beautiful what they're doing they've got a splash pad we go over and just watch the kids like cold weather games those kids are like running through water i'm like y'all are crazy (laughs) right but even today when we sell we sell towels (laughs) (laughs) we sell cubs towels over there (laughs) that's spectacular yeah you know but but i think you know a lot of times in industry and in any industry that you're in you jump straight to okay what's our outcomes what's our outcomes but what are the things that are driving our outcomes and like you said early on in our our conversation today of it takes a while to express the how maybe sometimes and and set up some of these initial understandings about what's driving the business but when you do the payoff is huge it is Uh, listen we know that moms make the decision to come to this ballpark more than dads we just know this through our focus groups Mm So we ask the moms, what is it you like? What's the number one attribute that you love at the ballpark? It's not the food. I thought it was going to be the food or the safety of the kids. I mean, that's in the top five. Number one is the cleanliness of the bathrooms. So we did a three-minute video on how to clean toilets. We didn't want to take for granted that every one of our maintenance folks knew how to clean a toilet perfectly. So we give them two toothbrushes. We give them two toilet brushes. We give them a bunch of wipes and, and, and antiseptics different color-coded gloves to make sure the gloves never end up in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. So the way they do the, the toilets, I mean, I could I could walk you through the process or I could just send you the link to the video, but the point is, is that people take pictures of our toilets and our bathrooms for social media because these are the cleanest bathrooms in baseball. And they're clean in the ninth inning, not just the first, the first inning. That's awesome. So you take those kind of lessons from baseball and you just bring it back to business. It really is a level of detail that you pay attention to and it may be just kind of sometimes painful or difficult to do that, but the payoff is gigantic. That, that's incredible. So what's your what's your vision for the South Bend Cubs? I mean, Andrew, we were talking earlier and you said you hadn't even really been to South Bend how many years ago, and now you have been such a huge investor and contributor in, in our town, our city. What do you see in this place, and what, what's your vision? Like, what just, what captured your, your heart of South Bend? Yeah, great. it's a great question, and, I, and I've had a lot of time to think about it, because I do think of South Bend as a second home, and I'm, I'm a Chicago guy, yeah. and, 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 and by definition, a big city guy. Uh, what I really like about South Bend is, is, is the culture, um, the Midwestern values, the, um, the kindness. The, the default in South Bend is kindness. That's cool. I mean, across the board, yes, yes, you have a few notable you know, examples of the opposite. But across the board, most folks here in this area default to kindness, helpfulness, uh, and, and, and uh, inclusion. And I felt included, and I felt embraced when I came here. But I also felt the skepticism because there had been a number of baseball owners that had come through this town who had made promises, who, who said things, and it, nothing ever happened. What I did know also about this town, too, is there's a huge sports base here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the sports fans live and die in northern in northern Indiana, southwest Michigan, or Michiana, uh, primarily driven by the University of Notre Dame, of course, but other educational institutions. And, of course, with the advent of WGN broadcasting Cubs baseball, I mean, you had a, lot, a huge Cubs fan base here, too. Right. Now, we were a Diamondbacks affiliate at the time, but I, we knew that the area was thirsting for a professional sports team. Uh, but it had to be more than just a team. It, the experience here at the stadium was not good. Yeah. I mean, the food was bad. The place was not clean. It was not well run. And as much I love and adore the former owner, uh, the former governor of Indiana, Joe Kernan, who, by the way, did a great job keeping the, the baseball team in town, he needed to find someone who had the financial resources to make the investments. And, and I think my experience in, in recruiting and training and retention of employees and leaders um, 
I think is really what drove the success of the team here. Um, why I've stayed? Well, I mean, attendance keeps growing and the, the finance is strong uh, here. I mean, the, the bottom line is, is strong. And we have a, a really great relationship with the, even the city government. Uh, we have a 20-year lease uh, here awesome. in South Bend. And as a consequence, uh, we'll be here for uh, you know, at least 14 more years, if not perpetuity. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, it is fascinating. And so this is a little aside, but I did read it in um, some of the information I was just reading about you. And I thought it was fascinating that you purchased the Cubs, I think, on 11-11-11 at 11-11 a.m. We signed the contract right at that moment. I, I love this for many reasons, but let me hear your story about the number 11 or, or your just maybe general obsession with numbers. I'm not totally <laughs> sure. I just really want to know because I have a massive element of this in myself as well. Okay. I'm a little bit of a superstitious guy. Okay. I have uh, about a half a dozen rules about knocking on wood. Okay. Just because ancient Germanic tribes believed that gods lived in trees, you knock on wood to get the god to do your bidding. That's the, at least the, the oh, derivation right. of knocking on wood. Okay, I did having, not know that. Having said that, you did not ask about knocking on wood. You asked about the 11s. Um, Wall Street Journal years ago did an article about uh, baseball fans. And 75% of baseball fans believe there's something they can do or not do that can affect the outcome of the game. Okay. So we're a super, super superstitious group. Yeah. And in that, 88 million people will buy a ticket to a baseball game this year alone. Uh, I'm not alone. Okay. <laughs> so having said that, um, yeah, November 11th, uh, 2011, 11 a.m., uh, that's Armistice Day. Mm -hmm. So the end of the Great War, not a bad day. Yeah. Um, Apollo 11 okay. was the first lunar module to land on the moon. So another, another good 11 there. And just the fact that Joe Kernan, uh, in his very sweet, very kind way, suggested that we sign at 11, 11 a.m., it just sounded, it just felt very poetic. It, that is poetic. Yeah. So I, I actually, a couple things in all of that. I actually live in Joe Kernan's old house. Oh, do you really? And part oh. of our house number, I won't give it all away because that would just be crazy, but part of our house number is 11. But I actually <laughs> committed to the U.S. Naval Academy my senior year of high school. And oh, I signed my letter of intent as a soccer player on 11-11 at 11-11 p.m. because my soccer number was 11. I'm getting chills. And when I came to Notre Dame to play, I became number – I tore my first ACL before I left for plebe summer, so I, I didn't wind up going to the academy, but I wound up at Notre Dame, and I became number 29, well, because, of course, 2 plus 9 equals 11, and it just made sense in my world. Wow, and a, a numerologist. So, yeah, and my life verse is like Jeremiah 29, 11, and then my husband and I got married on 429 because his college football number was four and my college soccer number was 29. So we're, we're all about, not necessarily the superstition, wow. but I mean, intent, it, for me, it comes back to intentionality, right? And you can tell wow. stories and you can captivate people's hearts and minds around what it is we're doing, you know, and generate energy and passion and, and you know, collaboration around making greatness in this world. And so when I read that, I was like, man, me and this guy. <laughs> Well, not to come full circle uh, for the obvious topic of this podcast, but even in leadership, yeah. um, good leadership also means you're a great storyteller. Um, I, I'm not, uh, you know, we have in our, our midst in, in the office, uh, in, in this room that we're sitting in, a, a fellow that holds a very high degree in theology, but uh, he knows as well as you and I both know is that the Bible is about storytelling right? and parables and teaching lessons through stories. Um, in business, that is a great skill to have as a leader. Uh, and so there's nothing wrong with a little folklore. There's nothing wrong with a little storytelling. Um, it, gets, it gets the point across. 
Yeah, and you know, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about, um, that, so each episode we pair a leadership principle with a mindset principle, and when we were talking about communication, we talked about the power of story at the psychological level and how it activates multiple regions of the brain, which helps log memories, and also it actually syncs brain waves. So the speaker telling a story, their brain activates in the different areas. So when you talk about the smells, right, where you smell in your brain lights up. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the, the feel of the grass when you pick it up off, or the dirt in your hand, right? That activates the the, the touch sensory mechanisms. Yeah. So in myself, as I'm telling the story, but then as the listener, your brain waves also start to sync to that. And so literally we can captivate people's hearts and minds and, and synchronize through the power of story. And so, you know, all just to, no, to talk I'm, about I'm these learning. fun things. I'm learning. It's fantastic. It's so fun. By, um, by the way, we do cut the grass exactly an hour and a half before we open the gates. So the smell of grass will be in the air. We don't, we don't do it in the morning. I love we that. want the fans to smell the grass. It's be- again, intentionality, yeah. right? And, and, and I think intentionality and details. Everything we do as leaders, as influencers, and whether you, if you don't even view yourself as a leader right now, everything we say and do matters because it, it's either adding to the, the legacy or the operation or the team that we're creating or it's detracting, you know, and facilitating mediocrity, like, like you said earlier. And so I love it. I love hearing all the details that you put into to making this place so special oh, for the community. So thank, thank you. you for that. All right. Is there anything, you know, that, that any other books, resources that you think would be powerful for our listeners to, to check out? You've mentioned several already, so don't feel an obligation to, but a favorite book or podcast or things that, that you've run into that you think would be helpful? I, I read a lot. I'm an insatiable reader. Um, and I will say that I have, I have two lists of books that I keep, one for fun and one for um, self-improvement. Um, all of it is, oh my gosh, I'm, I feel like I'm plugging another website, but it just, it, it. It just happens to be there. I love it. At andrewberlin.com. Perfect. Andrewberlin.com. It, Check that out. There's actually a... Click, click the key, click the, uh, the what you call it, the link, thank you, on the website, and uh, it, I'll list all my books there. Awesome. That's even better. So we'll put that in the episode notes for you, andrewberlin.com. Find, uh, you can read his, all of his stories are so fascinating on there as well, but also- <laughs> Fascinating um, maybe to my mother, but no, hopefully to you too. <laughs> that was fascinating <laughs> to me, huh? <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I had the opportunity to speak at a, an organization, their national conference a, a couple weeks ago, and the theme was the power of one, you know, and them trying to instill in their people, there is power in each one of you if you choose to take ownership of that and have an influence. What, what can, share some of your thoughts around the power of one, because you're one man, right? One, one little guy grew up in the south side of Chicago, or not south side, north side, north side of Chicago, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and, and here you are having a huge influence in total communities and in influencing individuals who work in your organizations around the globe. What does that phrase, the power of one, really mean to you? Well, I think that the power of one is, is one's ability to teach others. Mm. I mean, that to me is, is the power of one because, I mean, I mean, there's only so much one person can do, but one uh, with many others can, you know, can do a great deal. I mean, it's a uh, Phil Jackson, who famously coached the Bulls and then the Lakers, uh, wrote in his book uh, *Sacred Hoops*. I think that the the title of one of his chapters is uh, "For the Raindrop, Joy is Entering the River." Okay, it's a Buddhist reference. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, clearly, you know, carving canyons cannot be done with a raindrop, but it can be done with a river. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the power of one is, um, uh, I think, is, is really being able to relate to others and to teach others. Um, another uh, reference I saw was, um, I think it was, gosh, I'm going to mess up the Greek f- philosopher. I don't know if it was Socrates or Aristotle talked about people who always want to change the world. Right? They come out of school or they feel idealistic or they say, you know, I want to change the world. And his, his advice was that if you want to change the world, um, first get your nation in order. Mm-hmm. So once your nation is in order, then you, you really can change the world. But to get your nation in order, you have to, fr- you have to first get your own community in order. Mm-hmm. So focus on your community before you focus on the, on the nation. But then again, before you focus on the, the community, what do you have to focus on? You have to focus on actually making your family yeah. right and strong uh, and, 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 and achieving all that it needs to achieve. But how can one affect uh, you know, a family? And that is you have to get yourself in order first. That's powerful. So the, the power of one, yes, you can, have, you can affect and change the world, but you better get yourself in order first. That's spectacular. And that takes, that takes work sometimes. It does. It does. Again, that intentionality. And, yeah. you know, at the Selking Performance Group, that's, the, that's our heart, right, is to help people understand and leverage the power of mindset and leadership. So mindset at the individual level, you know, and then leadership at the systems level to synchronize all of that to actually unleash performance excellence and achieve sustainable results. So um, I I love that point and your perspective on that is really powerful. So we're going to transition into our last two questions that we ask all of our guests and then I can't wait to hear your thoughts on. So Navy uh, blue. (laughs) No, sorry. Okay, Uh, okay, great. And on that, it's a wrap. (laughs) Blue and red, I think, is the right answer, right? Navy blue. (laughs) I can give a PMS for the the cup color. Yeah, good. All right. So um, the last two questions, right? We're in season three entitled Lead to Win. And we talk all the time about how, just like you said, before we can really look to lead others, we have to learn how to lead ourselves. And so what does that phrase lead to win mean to you in relation to leading yourself? What does lead to win mean in you? Uh, You know, uh, Amber, this may not be, you know, the the big answer, uh, but it's my answer. Uh, I'm working on myself all the time. Um, to be the best leader and to win, uh, you know, how I won five years ago may not be how I win five years from now. Yeah. Um, the world has changed uh, dramatically and keeps changing. Um, in commerce, no one is buying books or movies or music today the way they did 10 years ago. And the disruption of three gigantic industries has been complete, right? Uh, 37% of, of Procurement managers in business-to-business environment are, are millennials, and you know, millennials don't buy the way they used to. They don't sit for a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation anymore. <laughs> they're 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 swiping left or swiping right for a date. They're uh, ordering their groceries with one-click shopping. Uh, they don't have time to be told why they need your service or your product the way folks in the past did. And so I think the you know how I think about myself is I need to constantly be evolving and uh, adjusting, um, uh, improving, not just my business, but myself. Mm. Um, and you know, whether someone goes through a, a formal therapeutic analysis of themselves, which can be a great gift to someone, uh, or uh, they find a place in the world where they can discover the most relaxed version of themselves and, and to meditate on, on what, you know, how, 
what makes them tick and, and how they can tick further. I, uh, it's almost like taking a, a glass of muddy water, shaking it up and trying to look through that glass. Uh, if you try to look through that glass, you can't see anything. That's a great analogy. But if you put that glass down and let it sit for 20 minutes and then pick it up, it's crystal clear. And I think the mind is like that too. I think we're so busy trying to do so much that sometimes relaxing and or meditating, whichever works for you, to, to think to, to think about what the future holds for us and how we're going to uh, attack the future, sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Then the last one, right? So this phrase, lead to win, what does that mean to you in relation to leading others? <laughs> uh, gosh, get them thinking the way I'm thinking. I don't know. <laughs> or <laughs> learn from you. I mean, I should be, th- I, I need to be thinking the way you're thinking. That's, uh, I, listen, what's, what's marvelous about this podcast is I am, hopefully maybe we're both learning a little something, but I'm definitely learning from you. So lead to win, I think, is just keeping an open mind. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to chuck it all. To, to take another path if that path works. I, I, there's no pride of ownership here. Uh, the, the, the ego is, is small, but the desire to win is huge. I love that. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing from you. I've Likewise. learned a ton. I know everybody else has. Um, and we we are looking forward to continue watching the South Bend Cubs be awesome, the Chicago Cubs be awesome, and Berlin Packaging crushing it around Listen, the world. You're, you're the Obi-Wan of uh, leadership here. I, I, <laughs> I'm the student here. But no, thank you. No, no, no. It's been in, in, incredible. So thank you. from the locker room to the boardroom, this has been Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast. Your host, Dr. Amber Selking, with our guest, Mr. Andrew. Berlin and we just want to challenge you to continue building your championship mindset and leading to win. Thank you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I know that was a little bit of a long one for us, everybody, but I couldn't stop asking questions and listening to his insights. And I hope you were able to take as much from that as I was. Andrew, again, thank you so much for being with us today. That that was really, really spectacular. Um, I just want to encourage you to reach out to us. If there is an opportunity for us to come speak to your business or your organization from the locker room to the boardroom, right? From the sports space to the business space, please let me know. Email me directly, Amber at selkingperformance.com. Again, we can do keynotes, we can do training sessions on tapping into this power of mindset and leadership because we really want to help not only unleash individual performance, but also look at how do we create systems that allow for that performance to happen. You know, when you hear um, a leader like Andrew talk about his experiences and the incredible success you have, I hope you were able to pick up, you know, all the things that we have talked about throughout the course of of this season in terms of the leadership principles that we've discussed, you see them manifested. There's no, there's no shortcut to winning in life, in business, in sport. And so we have to be diligent. We have to be process oriented. And if you need help with that or just want a different lens and looking at a, a perspective on how you build that, please reach out. Again, Amber at SelkingPerformance.com. Uh, you can also follow us on all the social medias, uh, Instagram at Selking Performance, Twitter at Champ Mindsets, and on Facebook at Selking Performance group. We just love to hear your thoughts and interact with you there as well. So thank you again for being with us. It has been an absolute pleasure. And again, this has been your host, Dr. Amber Selking. And from the locker room to the boardroom, I just want to challenge and encourage you to continue building your championship mindset and leading to win. Brightview Medical is a patient-oriented medical healthcare organization with goals to change healthcare as we know it.
By understanding the wasteful and costly healthcare system in place today, Brightview is able to create a unique opportunity that revolutionizes patient doctor visits, cuts back on costs, and increases patient satisfaction. They house all of their specialty physicians, CDC-level labs, and state-of-the-art technology in one building, providing a one-stop patient-centered environment, which is unparalleled in today's medical field. At Brightview Medical, they don't just practice medicine, they perform it. This episode was recorded and produced by Truthwork Media. If you're interested in having a podcast, look us up at truthworkmedia.com. Truthwork Media, everyone has a story, yours needs a podcast.